Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's Eat, Move, and Live Better podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Through that time, as you can imagine, we've watched fad diets and fitness crazes come and go. But when the fads have failed and the crazes died out and people just want something that works, they turn to Precision Nutrition for things like expert coaching, guided mentorship, and online support. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will help make the whole nutrition, fitness, and health process work for you. Ideally, you'll discover that eating, moving, and living well can be easy and enjoyable for now and into the future. So let's get started. Hi, this is Bryce from Precision Nutrition, and today I'm reading the article, Eating Too Much? You Can Blame Your Brain, How Brain Signaling Drives What You Eat and What to Do About It, by Brian St. Pierre. Forget willpower. Brain signals drive what, how, and when we eat. If you're eating too much, here's how to take back control. It's no secret that obesity rates have been rising in the U.S. and other industrialized nations for the past 30 years. It's also no secret that Americans eat more than they used to, by almost 425 calories per day since the early 80s. For decades, government officials, research scientists, and fitness pros blamed this on a lack of willpower, folks' inability to push away from the table. Diet book authors, TV doctors, and other nutrition experts tell us that we're gaining because of gluten, fats, fructose, or whatever the nemesis of the day is. But all this finger-wagging never really explains why. Why are we eating so much food? And why is it so hard to stop? The answer lies in our brains. You eat what your brain tells you to eat. Ever open up a bag of chips planning to have a small snack only to find yourself peering into an empty bag just a few moments later? Your brain is to blame. Our rational, conscious brain thinks it's in charge. I eat what I want, when I want, and I stop when I want to. But we have a lot less control than that. Behind our decision-making processes are physiological forces we're never even aware of. You see, deeper brain physiology drives what, when, and how much we eat along with its co-pilots of hormones, fatty acids, amino acids, glucose, and body fat. For the most part, our conscious selves just come along for the ride. So in this article, we'll explore how our brains dictate so many of our food choices, how these physiological forces can lead to weight gain, and what we can do to take the power back. So let's get into it with why do we decide to eat. Simply put, we eat for two reasons. Homeostatic eating, we eat to get the energy our body needs and to keep our biological systems balanced, aka homeostasis, and hedonic eating. We eat for pleasure, aka hedonism, or to manage our emotions. Most meals are a mix of homeostatic and hedonic eating. We know that ghrelin, the hunger hormone, stimulates our appetite. It peaks just before meals and falls during and immediately after eating. Yet ghrelin is not the only factor in hunger or the decision to eat. For example, research shows that mice without ghrelin still eat regularly, just like the mice with ghrelin. Although taking in nutrients is as old as biology, we still don't know why and how humans get hungry and decide to start eating. Hunger and eating is shaped by many factors, including our genes, social cues, learned behavior, environmental factors, circadian rhythm, and our hormones. 
As you can imagine, it's complicated. So science still doesn't have the secret to hunger and eating. Yet. We do, however, know a lot about why we stop eating. In other words, once we've started eating, what makes us stop? This is in part influenced by satiation, the perception of fullness you get during a meal that causes you to stop eating. Satiety is sometimes used interchangeably with satiation, but the terms aren't the same. Satiety is your perception of satisfaction, or reduced interest in food, between meals. Satiation is your perception of fullness during a meal. When we eat a meal, two physiological factors work together to tell us to put down our fork and call it quits, and those are gastric distension and hormonal satiation. So let's look at each in turn, beginning with gastric distension. When empty, your stomach can hold only about 50 milliliters. When you eat, the stomach can expand to hold 1,000 milliliters, or a liter, and even at the extreme end, 4,000 milliliters, 4 liters or a gallon. Your stomach is designed to stretch and expand, in other words, gastric distension. Your stomach is also designed to tell your brain about how much stretching is happening. As your stomach expands to accommodate the incoming food, neurons in your stomach send this message to your brain via the vagus nerve, which runs from your head to your abdomen. At Precision Nutrition, we encourage people who want to lose fat to choose more nutritious, yet low-energy and high-fiber foods, such as vegetables, beans, and legumes. Because these take up more stomach space, they can help us feel full, even though we're eating fewer calories. Unfortunately, though, gastric distension isn't the full picture. Enter hormonal satiation. While you eat, your GI tract and related organs, like the pancreas, tell many areas of the brain that food is coming in. Some of these signals travel up the vagus nerve, while others enter the brain by different routes. Some of the more important of these hormones are cholecystokinin, CCK. When we eat fat and protein, the gut releases CCK, telling your brain through the vagus nerve to stop eating. There's also GLP-1 and amylin. Recent research indicates that GLP-1 may be the most unique and important satiation hormone. It seems to stimulate the production and release of insulin, a powerful satiation satiety hormone itself, and slow down food moving from the stomach into the small intestine, among many other impressive mechanisms. Similarly, Amylin is one of the few satiation satiety hormones shown to actually reduce food intake. And then of course last, there's insulin. When we eat carbs and protein, we release insulin. This tells your brain that nutrients are coming in and eventually tells it to stop eating. So many of these hormonal messages stick around. They can tell us to eat less at later meals too. This is why you should think about your food choices and eating habits in the long term, over the course of a day, a few days, or even a week. For instance, a high-protein breakfast might prevent you from overeating at dinner. Together, these physiological responses, along with other hormones and signals, help you feel full and know when to stop eating. Yet these still aren't the complete picture either. Your brain also drives your food consumption over time. What really matters to your weight and overall health, of course, is what you do consistently. In other words, what and how much you typically eat day after day. Your body has a system for managing your long-term energy and nutrient needs, it's called the leptin feedback loop. Leptin is a hormone that's released by fat tissue. Leptin tells the brain how much energy we've just consumed and how much excess energy we have stored up as fat. The more body fat we have, the more leptin in our blood. The brain makes decisions based on leptin levels about hunger, calorie intake, nutrient absorption, and energy use and storage. Then it cycles back to regulate leptin production in a loop 
that can help keep our energy and our body weight balanced over time. So, if stored energy, fat, and leptin remain stable over time, we are more easily sated during and between meals. Smaller portions feel okay, and our metabolic rate stays high. However, if stored energy, fat, and leptin drop over time, it sends a message to the brain, mainly the hypothalamus, which links your nervous system with your endocrine system, that we need to start preventing starvation. The brain responds to lower leptin levels with several anti-starvation strategies. For example, we get hungry, like real hungry, like eat your own arm hungry. We also move around less. Our NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or a daily movement like fidgeting, standing up, and anything other than purposeful exercise goes down. The couch starts looking better and better. We also burn fewer calories through movement as our skeletal muscles become more efficient. And our metabolic rate slows down significantly, as seen in the recent Biggest Loser study. In fact, you can find that at precisionnutrition.com forward slash the dash biggest dash loser dash study. It follows then that if stored energy, fat, and leptin go up over time, you'll want to eat less, right? Well, yes, sort of. Unfortunately, you can't always count on that response. How much leptin will go up when you start eating more varies from person to person, and how your brain responds to increased leptin levels also varies from person to person. Clearly, people's physiologies vary a lot. In some people, when leptin rises, the brain decreases their appetite and increases their NEAT output. In other words, the response isn't nearly so robust. That being said, most of the time, for most people, the leptin feedback loop works well to naturally regulate our energy expenditure and consumption until we disrupt it. In other words, the food you eat can change your brain. Assuming we're properly nourished, that well-balanced leptin loop will tell us when we've had enough. It helps us feel sated and allows us to eat reasonable portions comfortably. But that nicely balanced loop can become disrupted quickly when we eat certain types of food. A diet filled with hyper-palatable, hyper-rewarding, heavily processed foods can overthrow the brain's stop signals. In plain English, this means so-called junk foods that are sweet, salty, creamy, and or crunchy, maybe all at once, and full of chemical goodness that spins our pleasure dials, but contain relatively few actual nutrients. This type of diet prevents leptin from doing its job of regulating our energy balance. It can even make our brains inflamed and leptin resistant. We end up feeling less satisfied, we want to eat more, and our bodies even fight to hold on to the weight we gain. So let's talk about this beginning with hyperpalatability. Palatability is more than just taste. It's our whole experience of pleasure from a food. That includes taste as well as aroma, mouthfeel, texture, and the whole experience of eating. Palatability strongly influences how much we eat at meals. And that seems obvious. Of course, we eat more of the foods we like. And of course, some foods are more pleasurable to eat than others. But some foods aren't just palatable. They're extremely palatable. They're what you might call too good. Anything that you just can't stop eating would fall into this category. Then there's also reward value. Along with palatability, some foods give us a hit or a reward from some type of physiological effect. We'll go out of our way to get foods with a high reward value. In fact, we may learn to like them even if they don't taste very good. For instance, few people like black coffee or beer the first time they try them. But coffee has caffeine, yay! And beer has alcohol, double yeah! Our brains like caffeine and alcohol, so we learn quickly that coffee and beer are good things 
and we learn to like or at least tolerate their taste. Over time, we discover we like and maybe can't live without them. We'll wade through a crowded bar to buy a drink. We'll stand in an absurdly long line for our afternoon coffee fix. And we'll pay exorbitant amounts of money for relatively simple products. We'll also make room for high-reward foods, even when we're full. This is why at Thanksgiving, after moaning and groaning about how full you are, you miraculously make room for pie when it's time for dessert. It's also important to note, tasty plus fun equals no shut-off switch. What happens when you put the two things together, hyperpalatability, i.e. tasty, and high-reward, fun? A dangerous combination. We want these foods, we like these foods, and we'll work hard to get them. When we do get them, we often don't quit eating them. These types of foods have a winning combination for keeping us interested and eating. Energy density, in other words, a lot of calories in a small package, high fat content, high refined starch and or sugar content, saltiness, sweetness, pleasing and specific textures such as creamy or crunchy, drugs such as caffeine or alcohol, and other flavor enhancers or additives to improve mouthfeel. This magical mix is rarely found in nature. It is, however, often found in highly processed foods like cakes, cookies, pastries, pies, pizza, ice cream, fried foods, and so forth. The more of those elements we have, the better. Make something salty and sweet and starchy and fatty, then add in some extra flavors and scents, appealing colors, and a pleasing mouthfeel for good measure, and you have something that's been scientifically engineered for us to overeat. We naturally love and seek out these things. Evolution has equipped us for it. So if you love so-called junk food and feel like you can't stop eating it, you're not alone, bad, or weird. Your brain is doing its job to keep you alive. For example, high-fat foods are energy-dense. Good news if you're a hunter-gatherer and nutrients are scarce. A sweet taste can tell us a food is safe to eat. Bitter-tasting foods could be poisonous. Yet our ancestors weren't exactly dialing in for delivery. They had to bust their butts with daily activity such as stalking, gathering, and digging, even for minor rewards like a meal of turtle and tubers. Today, of course, high-fat foods aren't nutrient-rich animal organs or blubber that we had to work nine hours to get. They're frappuccinos and bacon double cheeseburgers that we bought while seated in our car. Evolution's gifts now work against us. So, this is your brain on processed food. Our brains love processed foods, but our bodies don't. These enchanting and semi-addictive foods aren't usually very nutritious. They have more energy than we need with fewer nutrients. In other words, vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, essential fatty acids, and so forth and fiber. We don't feel full or satisfied when we eat them. After a while, our brain forgets about its natural stop signals in favor of getting more of that delicious hit from food reward. Our hedonic pleasure system starts bullying our homeostatic energy balancing system. Over time, if we eat a lot of these foods consistently, we might even injure and inflame parts of our brain that regulate our food intake and energy output. Now our homeostatic regulation isn't just getting pushed around, it's also on fire. And we're not exactly sure why this happens. Getting too much energy from foods, and especially these foods, seems to injure our brain's neurons, particularly in the hypothalamus. When we are injured, we normally release inflammatory cytokines, in other words, cell signals. This happens in the brain as well, since the brain is part of the body, causing hypothalamic inflammation. 
There's also evidence that significant consumption of these energy-dense foods changes the populations of the bacteria in our gut, which affects the gut-to-brain pathway and also causes hypothalamic inflammation. Hypothalamic inflammation then leads to leptin resistance. So you might have heard of insulin resistance, the condition where people's cells stop hearing insulin signals and slowly lose the ability to control their blood sugar levels. Well, the same thing can happen with leptin. Your brain can start to ignore or tune out the leptin, even if you're eating enough and have plenty of energy stored in your body fat. In insulin resistance, the pancreas can simply pump out more insulin to keep blood sugar under control, at least for a while. Since body fat is our main leptin factory, to make more leptin, we need more body fat. You see where this is going, right? One, when you're leptin resistant, your brain thinks it doesn't have enough leptin. Two, the brain needs the leptin factory, in other words, body fat, to get bigger and produce more leptin. Number three, operation ad adiposity begins. Number four, you feel hungry. Regular portion sizes are no longer satisfying. It's harder to feel satiated and you want to keep eating and eat more often. And number five, you gain fat. Mission accomplished. Or so your brain thinks. We have a chart online in today's article that shows what the leptin feedback looks like now in this kind of disrupted scenario. You can see it at precisionnutrition.com forward slash eating dash two dash much dash blame dash your dash brain. Make sure to check it out. And as if that weren't enough, it seems this inflammation and resulting leptin resistance might even cause our bodies to defend our increased weight. This seems to be because the brain now views this higher level of leptin and body fat as its new normal. In this case, our body fights even harder than normal to stop us losing fat. Scientists are still researching exactly how and why our bodies do this. And here's another problem. Hyperpalatable, highly rewarding foods are often the most readily available. Tasty, fun food crack deliciousness bombs are everywhere. Today, the following are the top six sources of calories in the U.S. Number one, grain-based desserts. Cakes, cookies, donuts, pies, crisps, cobblers, and granola bars. Number two, yeast breads. Number three, chicken and chicken mixed dishes. And we don't mean chicken breasts. Think chicken fingers, chicken stir-fry, and chicken nuggets. Number four, soda, energy drinks, and sport drinks. Number five, pizza. Number six, alcoholic beverages. And fast food now makes up 11% of the average American's energy intake. We now drink 350% more soft drinks than we did 50 years ago. And soybean oil, largely used in highly processed foods, accounts for 8% of all calories that Americans consume. All of this, of course, makes perfect sense. If you're a food company, you want people to eat your food. How do you do that? Engineer the food to be extra rewarding and hard to stop eating. People eat more and buy more and then lie awake at night thinking about how they could totally go for an ice cream sundae with sprinkles right now. If you're a savvy marketer, you might also invent new opportunities for people to eat, like at the movies, in the car, snack time before, during, and after school, in front of the TV, at sport events, before, during, and after workouts, late at night, which is usually where processed foods excel, and so on. Social norms in our environment also affect where, when, how, and how much we eat. Now that food and food cues are everywhere all the time, it's hard to avoid wanting to eat and hard to know when to stop eating. But change what you eat, change your brain. 
You can't control your unique genetic makeup, your history of dieting, nor your physiological response, but you can control your behaviors. And here are two simple, but not necessarily easy, steps you can take to help your natural appetite regulation system get back online and do its job better. Step one, eat more whole, fresh, minimally processed foods. This means stuff like lean meat, poultry, fish, eggs, dairy, and or plant sources for your lean protein, fruits and vegetables, ideally colorful ones, slow digesting high fiber starches, such as whole grains, starchy tubers, you know, your potatoes, sweet potatoes, yams, cassava, and so forth, beans and legumes, and also nuts, seeds, avocados, coconut, fatty fish, and seafood for your quality fats. Step two, eat slowly and mindfully. No matter what you eat, slowing down will help your brain and gastrointestinal tract coordinate their activities. It will also help you feel more in control of choosing what and how much to eat. Plus, since the signals are getting through properly, you'll often feel satisfied with less food. And lastly, step number three, eat fewer processed, hyperpalatable foods. Now, step three can be tricky. We get it. After all, this whole article is about how appealing those foods can be. Step one and two will make step three easier. If you get more of the good stuff and stay mindful as you eat it, there's often less room and desire for the other stuff. Over time, if you do these three steps consistently, you'll probably notice you crave highly processed foods less and feel more in charge of your food decisions in general. You'll feel fuller for longer as that leptin loop returns to normal, at least to some degree, keeping in mind that each person's body and situation is a bit different. You may lose body fat, and you'll probably find that you feel, move, and perform better too. Now, this all said, food intake is complex. Physiology plays a big role, but so do psychology, relationships, and our larger society, our culture, our lifestyle, our individual knowledge or beliefs about food and eating. This means you aren't doomed by physiology. You can use other things to help your body do its job. A meal of whole foods, properly cooked and seasoned, and enjoyed at the dinner table with your family and friends is going to be much more satisfying than eating in your car next to the drive through window. You don't have to live in a world of bland and depressing health food just because you aren't carpet bombing your taste buds. Throw a little butter and salt on those veggies. Make them taste good. Just not too good too often. Your brain will love you for it. So, what to do next? Well, here are a few of our favorite strategies at Precision Nutrition to help you find the right balance and make smart choices. Number one, recognize that your body is a system. Think long term. What you do today can affect what happens tomorrow. Your breakfast can change your dinner. If you restrict food and nutrients with a fad diet that starts on Monday, you might find your body aggressively taking back its energy by Friday. Number two, eat mostly whole, minimally processed foods. Whole, minimally processed foods are not hyper-rewarding or hyper-palatable. It's harder to overeat them. They don't cause hypothalamic inflammation and leptin resistance. They have lots of good stuff. Vitamins, minerals, water, fiber, phytonutrients, disease-fighting chemicals, and so forth, and are usually lower in calories. In fact, we have some ideas for you on putting together a delicious plate that you can find at precisionnutrition.com forward slash create dash the dash perfect dash meal dash infographic. Make sure to check that out as well. And choose whole foods that you enjoy and will eat consistently. Number three, eat enough lean protein. Protein is a satiety superstar. We've seen in both research and our clients, when people eat more lean protein, 
they eat fewer calories overall, but they feel more satisfied. Sometimes even like they're eating too much. For most men, this generally means consuming 6-8 to eight palm-sized portions of protein daily. And for most women, this generally means consuming 4-6 to six palm-sized portions of protein daily. Number 4. Eat plenty of vegetables. Vegetables, especially colorful ones, are obviously super healthy. They give you lots of volume and nutrients for very little calories. And many of them are fun to eat. Think crunching carrots, baby tomatoes, and so forth. For most men, this generally means consuming 6-8 to eight fist-sized portions of vegetables daily. For most women, this generally means consuming 4 to 6 fist-sized portions of vegetables daily. Next, number 5, get quality carbs and healthy fats from whole, less processed foods. For carbohydrates, look for whole grains, beans and legumes, starchy tubers such as potatoes and sweet potatoes, and fruit. The combination of resistant starch, fiber and water content will help you feel fuller for longer. When it comes to carbohydrates, for most men, we recommend 6 to 8 cupped handfuls of carbohydrates daily, and for women, 4 to 6 cupped handfuls of carbohydrates daily. For fat-dense foods, look to high-quality oils and butters, nut butters, nuts and seeds, avocados, and even a little dark chocolate. Fat tends to be digested the most slowly of all the macronutrients, especially sources that are less energy-dense and higher in fiber, in other words, the nuts, seeds, and avocados. For most men, we recommend 6 to 8 thumb-sized portions of healthy fats per day, and for most women, 4 to 6 thumb-sized portions of healthy fats per day. Next, number 6, consider how you eat. Work on eating slowly. Pay attention to your own internal satiety cues. Eat without your smartphone, TV, or computer in your face. You could try eating from smaller plates, or create an environment in your home and workspace that makes it difficult to overeat or be tempted with highly processed, highly rewarding foods. And remember, Berardi's first law. If a food is in your house or possession, either you, someone you love, or someone you marginally tolerate will eventually eat it. This also leads to the corollary of Berardi's first law. If a healthy food is in your house or possession, either you, someone you love, or someone you marginally tolerate will eventually eat it. Number seven, be flexible. Recognize that it's okay to have some of those highly rewarding foods. Completely avoiding them or demonizing them as bad or poison usually does the opposite of what you want. You feel like a guilty failure, and you often end up overeating or binging on those banned foods. Instead, choose, in other words, decide in advance, to indulge in some occasional cookies, brownies, or ice cream. Eat them slowly and mindfully until you're satisfied. Enjoy them. And then, move on, back to your regular routine like it ain't no thing. Keep in mind that how often you choose to indulge should depend on what you're looking to achieve. And number eight, be aware. Cultivate an awareness of how you feel before, during, and after your meals. Do you eat because you're truly hungry, or because the clock says it's time to eat, or because you just feel snacky? Do you feel overstuffed at the end of a meal, only to find yourself staring into the fridge two hours later? Where do most of your meals come from? Consider keeping a food journal for a couple of weeks, making note of what you eat and how you feel. You can also jot down stuff like what you're thinking and what else is going on in your life, such as stress at work. Simply becoming more aware of your body cues and how these relate to other factors will help you better regulate your food intake. Awareness helps you make decisions that are more in line with your body's actual needs. All right, everyone. This has been Bryce from Precision Nutrition reading today's article. 
eating too much? You can blame your brain. How Brain Signaling Drives What You Eat and What to Do About It by Brian St. Pierre. You can read the article online yourself at precisionnutrition.com forward slash eating dash two dash much dash blame dash your dash brain. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's Eat, Move, and Live Better podcast. For more information about how to eat, move, and live better yourself, and for some awesome free nutrition and health resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.